Welcome to Citizen Science, stories of science we can do together, coming to you from SciStarter's virtual world headquarters. In this special Citizen Science Month episode, we'll hear from IC Change founder Julia Kumari Drapnik. There's one thing in the world that everybody can talk about, regardless of whether you know someone, and it's the weather. Nature's Notebook Outreach Coordinator, Erin Postumus. If you just pick a couple things to observe, you can really get to know them in detail, and you'll start to notice changes that you never saw before. And we'll learn about new citizen science kits you can get at your local library. People are telling us that uh, these are easy to use and that they're learning things they didn't know before and that they are feeling uh, empowered that they can contribute to scientific research, uh, even though they don't have a science degree. Hey, Citizen Science fans. As I sit here at SciStarter's virtual world headquarters, it's almost officially spring when Earth awakens from its long slumber and then hits the snooze alarm because it's still way too dark and cold. But even so, some early birds are already singing and building their nests, frogs are starting to croak, and when we get our first warm rain, the salamanders will be mating. Which can't be easy, right? Because, I mean, first off, it's slippery. They've just got these short, stubby limbs. And, you know, there are hungry water snakes out there looking for an easy meal. And wait, where was I going with this? All right, it's almost spring. And April is coming. And April is Citizen Science Month. And here at SciStarter, we've got everything you need to participate. But before you head out, you need to be ready. You can't just run off ill-prepared like an unwary salamander looking for love, but ending up getting eaten by a hungry water snake. So before you do anything else, head over to SciStarter.org forward slash training, where you'll find the Foundations of Citizen Science course. Just complete the tutorial, learn the essentials of citizen science, pass the final exam, and you'll get a Citizen Science digital badge, attesting to the fact that you are an ace, a number one citizen science boss. And that tutorial comes to us thanks to the National Library of Medicine. And they, along with the Institute of Museum and Library Services and the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, also support our National Citizen and Community Science Library Network. That's kind of a a mouthful there, but what it means is a group of libraries that loan out citizen science kits that are customized for different citizen science projects. And a whole lot of these libraries have gotten brand new kits ready and waiting for Citizen Science Month. And how cool is that? To learn more about this program, I've got Nicole Savitsky, who is the Youth Services Librarian at Margaret R. Grundy Memorial Library, and on deck, Brittany Newman, who is the Community Engagement and Programming Librarian for Lee County Libraries in Sanford, North Carolina. But let's start out with Nicole. Oh, hi, Nicole. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. Great. Okay, so could you tell us where you're working and, and what your role is pertaining to these citizen science kits? Of course. I am a youth services librarian with the Margaret R. Grundy Memorial Library. We are located in Bristol, Pennsylvania, and we were recently awarded the grant, which allowed us to create 10 SciStarter kits to circulate within our community. Cool. And so what sort of science uh, kits are you doing? What sorts of projects? So we put together two different kits through the SciStarter website. We are doing the measuring the light in the night sky, mm -hmm. and we are doing our biodiversity kit. 
So the measuring the light in the night sky kit involves taking light readings to see about um, light pollution in the sky. So it uses a sky meter and you bring it to your backyard, to a park, to your school at night and take readings to see how light pollution is in your area. And then you upload that um, to the project portal and you are able to contribute to that project so scientists have a better understanding of how light pollution is affecting our local area. Cool. And then what's the uh, what's in the biodiversity kit? So biodiversity, I think, is going to be one of my favorite kits. We have um, these really cool clip-on lenses that you can attach to your phone. And you use those to get really close-up shots of different wildlife or different plant life in your area. Uh And what I really love about this kit is that it gets you to kind of just go out and have fun and explore. So you get to take time to observe um, maybe that uh, squirrel in your backyard or also a blooming um, rose or um, just kind of getting you to understand what grows in your area, what thrives in your area and what might not. So you get to spend time really kind of exploring those topics and trying to capture that. And I think that kind of also helps a lot since um, with the rise of social media and with technology, people love using their phones to capture photos. And now they can do that in a way that's going to help science. Wow. So are those lenses to um, see things that are tiny and close or far away? So they're they're great for getting real up close, those micro lenses, mm-hmm. kind of getting that that shot of like a raindrop or a dewdrop on a flower or getting close to a bug that's sitting on a flower. Um, so they give you a lot of great different options. It's a, a 19 le- or sorry, a nine lens kit. So there's nine different lenses in there. They also supplemented those kits with some books about what citizen science is, as well as what biodiversity is. And we allowed them to kind of explore those different topics as they're using the kits. Um, so we're really excited to see what they come up with. Oh, wow. Cool. And uh, so any advice for either um, citizen scientists or librarians, um, you know, regarding citizen science and and how you get involved and why you should get involved or, or anything like that? Yeah, I would have to say that I think it's really important as our world is constantly changing to to kind of make sure that you are offering something like citizen science in your community. I think what's really great about it is it puts the power into your community's hands. It kind of allows them to be able to explore something they might not have thought they would ever be able to explore or contribute in a way that they didn't think they would be able to before. So I really find citizen science and these kits as an empowerment tool. It allows your your community to grow and share and connect and kind of explore some topics that they haven't explored before or to build upon hobbies that they already had. And I think it just brings a lot of joy to your community. I think one of the advice I would give is just to be really open and adaptive and to listen to your community, especially if they have feedback about the kits, to um, really listen to what they might recommend or not recommend for the kits, kind of listen to what their interests are so you can take that and maybe make new kits or different kits. I think it's um, also important just to have fun with it. Uh, this is such a great topic and you can do so much with it. And if you are enthusiastic about it, your community will be as well. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much, Nicole. It was great, great talking with you. It was great talking with you as well. Thank you so much for having me. And now we have Brittany Newman, who's the Community Engagement and Programming Librarian for Lee County Libraries in Sanford, North Carolina. Hey, Brittany, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. 
I was wondering if you could tell us, tell me, um, you know, how you got involved with, with all of this. Sure, yeah. I first learned about SciStarter and the libraries as Community Hubs for Citizen Science grant opportunity from our local 4-H agent. She emailed me one day, uh, told me about SciStarter.org, mentioned to me that there was an opportunity to receive funding to build citizen science kits that we could then circulate uh, in our community. And we were immediately interested and we knew we couldn't pass up this wonderful opportunity. So it all started there. Great. And can you describe these kits? What's in them? So the take-home citizen science kits, they include activities and books based off of different topics. So we have a total of 12 take-home kits. We have four observing pollinator kits, four measuring the light at night kits, and four exploring biodiversity kits. And each of these connects with a project that you can access on SciStarter.org. And what sorts of things are in them? Are they just like um, instruction manuals or are they actual, or are they materials or instruments? Ah, yes, a a bit of all of that. So the observing pollinator kits will have uh, binoculars and magnifying glasses and a stopwatch so that you can take part in the project on SciStarter.org by observing those pollinators and recording how often they visit those flowers and how many flowers. There's a little clipboard in there and a dry erase marker so you can record your observations there. The Measuring the Light at Night kit has a star map and then lots of star guides that they can use. We also put in some binoculars in there and a red flashlight so you're not messing up your night vision. And the Exploring Biodiversity kit has these wonderful lenses that you can put on your phone to really magnify whatever you're observing, magnify those flowers or those other things that you're looking for. Oh, wow. That is so cool. So what's the response been? Are people taking them out? Oh, yes. We have been overwhelmed by the positive response we have received. Uh, Last week, we were really focusing on advertising them and all 12 kits checked out all at once. We were so happy and the feedback we're receiving is great. People are telling us that uh, these are easy to use and that they're learning things they didn't know before and that they are feeling uh, empowered that they can contribute to scientific research, uh, even though they don't have a science degree. Great. And it's been very, very positive. Oh, that is neat. Anything in particular that struck you about it? We have received a lot of comments on those photo- the phone lenses um, and how cool they are. And, and um, I was surprised. I wasn't expecting that to be everyone's favorite thing, but that seems to be their, their favorite material in the kids, those phone lenses. Well, that is so funny. I spoke with uh, Nicole Zavetsky at uh, a library up in Pennsylvania, and she just specifically mentioned those lenses. And, uh, and I've used them too, and I'm just blown away at how fun they are. Yes. They are, they're literally eye-popping. You just put a few grains of salt down or a leaf, and, and yep. it's so cool. Yes, it's like you're seeing a completely new object. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. I'm glad they're doing that. I'm glad that's a favorite. Mm-hmm. So let's see, what else? Uh, anything else you have? Any advice um, either for people who want to get into citizen science or librarians who might be interested in adding this to their uh, library offerings? I would say don't be overwhelmed. You really don't need to have a scientific background, uh, a science degree in order to uh, create these kits, to use the kits, to promote the kits. 
you don't need to have a degree to do that. And uh, SciStarter.org, there's lots of guides on there, and we just followed those to the T. We decided to add a few extra books and pamphlets that we had here and there to the kits, but you could just make the kit in its entirety how they recommend, and it you will have a very well-rounded kit. As far as getting involved in citizen science, there are so many projects available uh, based off of your hobbies or your special interests. You could do squirrels, you could do flowers, you could do the stars. Uh, using the search function on SciStarter.org, you can find something that, will, that you can be passionate about, that you'll enjoy. Cool. All right. Anything else that, um, that you'd like to share that you know, I haven't asked you about or, or just anything? I just, I hope people know that, um, and that they'll realize that you don't need to be a certain age, you don't need to have a certain level of education to contribute important work to the scientific community and to contribute to your community. And hopefully in doing citizen science, I hope they come away with a desire to learn more and that they can do so at their local public library. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much. You're welcome. You can learn more about the Library Kits program and maybe even get kits for your library at SciStarter.org forward slash libraries. And you can see if there's a library near you offering citizen science kits at SciStarter.org forward slash library hyphen locations. There are literally thousands of citizen science projects we could focus on for Citizen Science Month, but for this podcast, I'd like to bring your attention to two really big ones. One which deals with the living environment, you know, flora and fauna. That one's called Nature's Notebook. And the other which deals with Earth's changing climate, and that one's called I See Change. So let's start with Nature's Notebook. We have Erin Postumus joining us. She is Outreach Coordinator for the USA National Phenology Network and Nature's Notebook. Hey, Erin, thanks for joining us. Oh, happy to be here. Could you uh, just explain to us a little bit about Nature's Notebook? I know, you know, uh, it's getting to be Citizen Science Month, and hopefully we'll have a lot of new citizen scientists just beginning to explore. So uh, what should we tell them about Nature's Notebook? Yeah, so Nature's Notebook is a program that you can do in your own backyard to help us document the timing of these plant and animal life cycle events. And so uh, how it works is you pick a site and it can be your backyard or another place you go to frequently and you set up your site, you add on different plants and animals you want to record, and then you track those over the course of the season and tell us what's going on with the timing of when things are happening, like when the leaves are coming out on trees or when flowers are blooming. Um, and then for animals, things like when you see migrating birds, what they're doing, are they eating certain foods? Uh, are they nesting? Um, and for things like butterflies, you can record the caterpillars and then the adults and um, all this stuff like that. Okay. And uh, do we just go out and look at everything or anything? Or are there particular things that um, we should be looking for? Yeah, so we have a list of species and you can choose anything you like from that list. Uh, we have a, a species list because uh, we, we don't want to include everything. We do have certain species that are especially interesting to look at in terms of their phenology. Um, it might be species that are found over a large area so we can really see how the timing is different from one place to another. Um, they might be species that are very sensitive to things like temperature. So they might be plants that are the first to leaf out in the springtime, or they might be flowers that are very important for certain animals. Okay. And is it run the gamut from plants to animals or, or is it more focused than that? 
Yeah, we do have a wide variety of different types of plants. And for animals, we do have a lot of different things like birds and butterflies. We have some mammals, um, even some fish. So lots of different things to choose from. Okay. And do you recommend people uh, specialize on a species or specialize on an uh, area, like an area of land? Well, it's really up to you. We like to encourage people to think about what they are most interested in because we found that that encourages them to keep tracking these things over the long term. So you can really decide if, if you are really interested in learning about a particular plant or animal in your yard and kind of learning about what it does in different seasons and tracking it over time. Um, I would start with that. But we do have a number of what we call campaigns and those are uh, particular species or groups of species that researchers have told us are very interesting to them and they need data collected on them. So you can always start with the Nature's Notebook campaigns if you're not sure where to start. Okay. And uh, a lot of times people are worried that, you know, they may not be expert at um, identifying species or even doing citizen science of any type and that they'll mess everything up if they make a mistake and they're just worried about about sharing data. So so what do you say to them? Yeah, and I understand that concern. We do have a lot of training materials on our website and I definitely recommend when you first sign up for an account taking our observer certification course. And there's lots of great tips in there about how to get started, how to identify the different life cycle stages. And then we also have lots of other resources too like books that are in print and then also online. So there's lots of support for you um, to make sure that you're collecting high quality data. And what happens if you do make a mistake? Like I'm tracking these barn swallows, but then, you know, a month later you say, oh no, they're chimney swifts or some other kind of little bird. <laughs> Yeah, sure. And that does happen. Um, yeah, so some of the data you can change yourself. So if you realized, oh, I said yes for flowers, but it really was just a flower bud, you can go back and change that. If you have a species identification that you realize wasn't correct, we can actually change that. You just have to contact us. And I think you touched on this already, but could you say what scientists do with this? You know, why they want this information? Yeah, we have lots of researchers that have downloaded and used the data from Nature's Notebook. There have actually been over a hundred peer-reviewed publications already that have used the data. So all of the data that are submitted by our observers are freely available for download. And so not only researchers, but also natural resource managers need the data as well. So some of our campaigns are focused on species where the nectar is very important for species like monarchs or migrating bats. And so those data are very critical for understanding where the nectar is and whether it's becoming mismatched with when the animals are there. So all of that data is very, very important. Huh. Yeah, that, um, that reminds me, do you just track native species or are there um, invasive species on the list? Yeah, we do have both. Um, we have not too many invasive species. Sometimes it's hard to have people track invasives over the long term because often people just want to remove them as soon as they see them. But we do have a couple of them on there. Um, we actually have a campaign called Pest Patrol. So if you're interested in documenting, especially tree pests, things like emerald ash borer or the different um, some of those other tree pests, um, you mm. can track those through Nature's Notebook as well. Wow. Okay. Uh, anything else you'd like to share um, for prospective citizen scientists as we come up to Citizen Science Month? 
Um, I just think it's nature sofa can be a really great way to kind of uh, spend more time outside and kind of slow down and pay attention to your surroundings. You'll find that if you just pick a couple things to observe, you can really get to know them in detail and you'll start to notice changes that you never saw before. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. And one more thing. It, it, to start with, it seems a little solitary, but are there ways to create a group or make it into a group activity? Yes, definitely. Thanks for bringing that up. So we do have what we call our local phenology programs, and that allows people to come together and observe at the same location. So we actually have hundreds of these groups across the country, um, anywhere from nature centers to university classes, um, Audubon centers, lots of different types of organizations. And generally, they have a number of observers that come together and they can all observe the same sites and the same plants and animals. And it's a great social activity. And often those groups will have their own own questions that they're trying to answer with phenology. So we definitely have that support and I can tell you more about that or you can go to the website. Great. All right. Thank you. Uh, anything else? No, that's it, it's been great to be able to share about Nature's Notebook and um, yeah, I hope everyone goes and checks out the website. All right. Well, thanks so much, Aaron. Thank you. And lastly today, we have Julia Kamari-Drapnik, the founder and CEO of IC Change. And that's a project where citizen scientists become sort of the Earth's climate scouts, using our phones to record anything unusual about our surroundings that might result from a changing climate. Hi, Julia. Thanks for being with us. Always happy to be with uh, the SciStarter community. Thanks so much. So um, we're all excited. It's almost Citizen Science Month, and we're talking with folks about how to get ready for it. And, and I see change is just such a great opportunity. Could you sort of tell us a little bit about, about the program and, you know, why people should consider doing this for Citizen Science Month? Absolutely. So I see change is a community uh, data and engagement platform for us to talk about, to see and measure the impacts of climate change on our daily lives, and to even contribute ideas and data towards solving for the climate crisis uh, in our daily lives. So we have a global community across 118 countries. It is so easy to just log on to icchange.org or download our app, the IC Change Tracker app, on iPhone or Android, and contribute a story, a photo, and right away our system is gonna help figure out what you're talking about and what is um, relevant in terms of the science, in terms of the climate solution space that you are contributing to. And then um, we'll even ask you for some follow-up prompts about what you're seeing today in your yard garden, what you're seeing today uh, in you know, the, your local river system or on your local beaches, or if there's anything in your cityscape that is really, really relevant for solving uh, the climate crisis with local city officials, engineers, researchers, even utilities. So your stories are really, really critical. And what you're seeing helps us understand today, um, tomorrow, how things have changed from the past, and very much contributes technical information towards climate solutions design. Wow. So that's, you know, the scope is so wide. And that's one of the questions I had. So I download it. And I want to contribute things that are useful, but I don't want to get carried away and just, oh, I see that change. I see that change. I want you want me to get carried away. Go for it if you're feeling it. Really? Oh but, so, so, but what's the sweet spot? What are the changes that you want me to report? 
Well, if you are logging on from a specific area where we have a city or a researcher or a utility looking for specific information, we geofence those locations and you are prompted directly to those requests. So, but if you're just logging in and wanting to share the fact that you're seeing uh, dandelions a month early this year, that uh, peach trees are blossoming early in the Southeast, that it's been drier than usual, you tell us about it. That's the story we want to hear. Um, and if your neighbors are starting to experience extreme events, those are certainly events that we very much need to be connecting to and frankly, using those stories to connect to our neighbors long term. Huh. Can you enter things that happened a year ago or longer ago? You can enter anything from the past. Um, huh. our, our system will, um, you know, be able to, to check the metadata and the photo, and, but we will always be able to verify with you, hey, is this what you saw, when you saw it, where you saw it? If you want to, we have people who've used IC Change to log reports from farm journals in the Dust Bowl um, that go back to 1933 and 1936. And those records are so relevant to the communities where those people were posting from. So if your grandmother told you about a, a big storm that you know um, impacted her, you could you know remember that story and tell us about it. As long as we know where it was and when it was, um, that's that's part of the record. Wow. Is there anything else that we should share with listeners? Uh, so no story or photo is too small, but make sure you tell us a story. Uh, don't tell us what the weather is because we can tell what the weather is. <laughs> right. Tell us um, you know, how this has changed your routine, how this is impacting the people around you, what you'd like to do to solve for some of these problems when it comes to our changing food systems and growing in agriculture systems, to how our gardens are going to have to, and our garden patterns are going to have to change, mm -hmm. um, to flooding. If you see puddling today during an average rainstorm, that's a hot spot potentially for a major flood in your community. And we really want to pay attention to that stuff. Um, when it's dry, um, what, what are the first things that are drying up in your, in your neighborhood or your, um, your community, that, that Creek, is that an early indicator that you want to watch over time and please return back to places over time. That's where we start to see true patterns is if we're taking the same pictures year after year, season after season. Um, but if you just come in and kind of get your friends to do it together, it's so fun. There's one thing in the world that everybody can talk about regardless of whether you know someone, and it's the weather. Mm -hmm. And those little moments really matter on Icy Change. So do comment on what other people are seeing. Um, anything that's surprising to you, that gives them a boost of confidence uh, to know that you know someone is learning something new. Mm -hmm. And we're, being, we're gonna be rolling out some really cool new features on Icy Change this year to really show people how powerful your stories and your photos and your daily like noticings are great all right thanks so much yeah you too that was julia kamari drapnik founder and ceo of ic change just one of the many awesome citizen science projects you'll find at scistarter.org to find out more about what you can do for citizen science month check out scistarter.org forward slash citizen science month all written out and to find a Citizen Science Month event happening near you, go to scistarter.org forward slash calendar. Well, that's all we have for this special pre-Citizen Science Month edition of the SciStarter podcast. Of course, here at SciStarter, every month is Citizen Science Month. I'm Bob Hershon. Thanks for listening.
This podcast is brought to you each month by SciStarter, where you'll find thousands of citizen science projects, events, and tools. It's all at SciStarter.org. That's S-C-I-S-T-A-R-T-E-R dot org. SciStarter's founder is Darlene Cavalier. And thanks so much to you, the listener and the citizen scientist, for getting involved and making a difference. If you have any ideas that you want to share with us or any things you want to hear on this podcast, get in touch with us at info at SciStarter.org. Once again, our email address is info at SciStarter.org. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.